morning, everybody. Let's just acknowledge that uh, Todd's return got more clapping than me preaching this morning. It hurt, but I forgive you. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so I want to start off with a question. Do you remember the first time someone hurt you? For me, it was in fourth grade. I'm sure I was hurt before that, but my first memory was in fourth grade. In fourth grade, I had a best friend named Sean. And here's the kind of best friends we were. We were the kind of best friends that would call one another on our landline on Thursday night before school on Friday and coordinate our outfits. And Sean and I in fourth grade had matching white button-up Ralph Lauren shirts. And we would wear those most every Friday with the top two buttons unbuttoned and a gold chain. That's the kind of best friends we were. Sleepovers, playdates, just everything, everywhere, always together. And towards the end of fourth grade, we had a field trip. And on our field trip, uh, we were having lunch out at a park. And this park had a swing set. And Sean and I uh, were playing on the swing set doing uh, what every fourth grader does, which is called underdogs, where one gets on the swing set, the other one pulls them back and runs underneath and swings them up super high. And then you swing back, you get the momentum, and you jump and fly through the air. And everybody had gathered around watching Sean and I because we were the best at underdogs, and I was the farthest jumper. Um, And so we were showing off, impressing everybody, and then Sean had this bright idea. He wanted to take it up a notch. And Sean said, David, I got an idea. Let's do something that has never been done before in the history of humankind. Let's do a standing underdog. And just think about how far you could jump if you were jumping off the swing off your feet. So I said, Sean, I don't think the physics work out on that, and I'm not going to do it. And then Sean turned to the crowd and said, do you want to see David do a standing underdog? And of course, the crowd erupts. So reluctantly, peer pressured, I stand up on the swing, and I'm like, okay, we can do this. But then as soon as Sean grabbed my feet and pulled me back, and I was about horizontal to the ground, I realized this probably isn't going to go well. And so Sean runs as fast as he can and throws my feet as hard as he can into the air. And you can guess what happened. My feet went over my head, the chains got slack, and then my hands jerked off the chains, and I landed flat on my back on the ground. Instantly, the wind came out, my head snapped back and hit the ground. All of a sudden, my head's throbbing, and I'm laying there in intense pain. My eyes are closed, and I'm picturing, wow, The whole class is going to gather around. Sean's going to come up and get down on his knees. Are you okay, David? And everybody's going to take care of me. But when I opened my eyes, I saw Sean bent over, hands on his knees, laughing. And no one had come to my aid, but everyone else was laughing at me as well. And in that moment, the hurt that I felt, both physical pain, but also the betrayal of my friend, turned to anger. And I got up off the ground, and I clenched my fist, and I didn't walk. I ran towards my best friend, Sean Wells. And I pulled back my hand. And as I ran towards him, I remember, that many years ago in fourth grade, I remember the look in his eyes where his laughter all of a sudden turned to fear. And he realized, my best friend is about to punch me in front of everybody. And when I saw that look in his eyes, and I'd never punched anybody before in my life, I ran up to him, and just before I stopped my feet, I opened my fist, and I slapped him. And all the laughter ceased, and everyone's standing around, and it's silent, and we're nose to nose, me and Sean Wells. And he goes, did you just slap me? And then everyone started laughing again. And I turned around and walked away in shame, and I remember tears filling my eyes. And I didn't just walk away from that interaction, I walked away from that friendship, because it was the end of the school year, and that summer we normally would have spent every day together, 
and I just let the friendship fade away. And Sean and I completely lost contact. We went to fifth grade together. We went to junior high together. We went to high school together. And I honestly cannot recall speaking another word to my best friend. So why do I start there today? Today is part three of our reset series. And I'm going to be talking about what God's word has to say about resetting our personal relationships. We've talked about resetting our view of God and resetting our priority. And today we're talking about resetting our relationships because I think there's a pretty good chance, maybe it doesn't date back to fourth grade, but a a pretty good chance that every single one of you has at least one relationship that's in need of reset right now. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe your marriage is in need of a reset. Or maybe it's your relationship with one of your children. Or we just spent time with our families over Christmas. Maybe it's with a family member, a parent or an aunt or uncle or a cousin. That relationship is in need of a reset. Single people, maybe you're not getting along too well with your roommates right now. And there's a a friendship that needs reset. Or you've got an ex that hurt you and broke your heart or did you wrong in that relationship. And there's not peace there in that relationship. Maybe there's stuff going on at work, whether it's a coworker or a boss. And that relationship needs a reset. Somewhere where someone has hurt you, or maybe you've harmed someone else. You know, maybe somebody's offended you with what they've said or thought about politics or about race or about COVID, and that relationship is in need of a reset. I think this is a sermon we all need to hear. And if you can't think of anything right now, any relationship where there's any friction or lack of peace, just wait. It's coming this week probably or this month. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the sermon in a sentence. This is my thesis statement. Uh, It will carry throughout and I'll summarize it at the end and two foundational scriptures on which this idea is built. So here is the sermon in one sentence. God went to great lengths to make peace with us and he calls us to go to great lengths to make peace with one another. Now for you note takers, we're going to leave it up on the screen. I hate it when it disappears, so it's going to stay there for a second, but I want to explain this. Yeah, there's some clapping from the note takers. You can title this Resetting Relationships. All right, here we go. This is what we just sang about this morning. This is why we come to church is because there is a God who has gone to great lengths to make peace with us. We're we're a group of people who realizes that we are sinners who have been separated from God. And ultimately, we know that we will die. And we fear what will happen after death when we meet our maker in judgment. But we're here because we've heard this good news that God has grace and mercy towards us and he sent his son Jesus to die. And this Jesus was God's idea from the very beginning when he covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve, when he provided a way out for Noah, when he sent the prophets and the kings and when he made a covenant with the patriarchs and then when he sent his son Jesus and when Jesus died for us on the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus left us the spirit of God, when he established the church to strengthen us, when he gave us his word and when he gave us his promises of his return and a description of heaven and eternity, God has gone to great lengths to give us peace in our hearts with him. And then as his children, those of us who have understood that and are following him, he calls us now to go to great lengths. It's not easy, people, to go to great lengths to make peace with one another. This idea comes from uh, Jesus's first and longest recorded sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, Matthew chapter five. Well, first let me start in Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1 illustrates the great lengths that God has gone to that I just described. It says, therefore, 
Since we have been made right with God, in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. I hope everyone in this room knows that, that you can have peace with God, that we can have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. And so that being true, now it takes us to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where Jesus simply says this. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. See, I made peace with you, so now you make peace with one another, for they will be called the children of God. See, if we are children of God, we should follow his example. He made peace with us. We make peace with one another. So here's where we're going to go with the rest of our time together today is we're going to talk about how we can reset our relationships with forgiveness and how we can reset our relationships with amends. Because I know this to be true. I've worked here long enough and interacted with enough people. I think all of us want there to be peace in our relationships. We want there to be healing where something has been broken. But here's the pattern I've observed is everybody wants that, but very few people know what to do. They don't know how to reset their relationships. And I, I think these two simple ideas will take us really far towards resetting our relationships. We can reset relationships with forgiveness. We can reset relationships with amends. We're going to spend a majority of our time on forgiveness. So let's get started. I want you to think about how you feel when someone treats you poorly. When someone hurts you or harms you or treats you poorly, if you're like me, your first instinct in response isn't like, awesome, this is a chance to forgive. My first response is, this demands justice. And I was trying to think of an example, and I thought about driving, how someone does you wrong on the road, and what's your first response. And uh, as I was reviewing what I was going to share this morning with some friends, they gave me some feedback, and they were like, that's a weak example. Why don't you talk about something more personal? How have you been wounded? And I just had to pause and reflect. And, and these are kind of some general categories that I came up with. I wrote them down, and I want to share them with you. These are ways people have treated me poorly. I've experienced times when someone that I really trusted and depended on lied to me. Have you? I've experienced someone that I esteemed and looked up to being condescending and invalidating towards me and it hurt. I've felt like I've been denied the affirmation and emotional support that I desperately long for and think every human deserves. And I've experienced many circumstances where others have spoken poorly about me in ways that felt unfair and hurtful. And whenever I experience these things, my instinct isn't forgiveness, it's justice. And here's what I mean by that. I become bitter and angry. I wanna point out the wrong that was done. I wanna speak harshly to or about the person who has hurt me. I wanna maybe even pay them back in some way. And sometimes, like I did with Sean, at the end of it all, I just wanna run and hide and deny the pain. The point is my default, and I think for many of us, our default is not forgiveness. And it's been said that forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Or for, uh, unforgiveness, I'm sorry, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Or unforgiveness is like a cage that locks you in to the negativity of the past and hinders you from moving forward into positivity in the future. And so my default, though, is unforgiveness. My default is drinking poison and staying locked in a cage. But God's word says something different. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to a church where there were some, some in the church who needed to reset their relationships. And so I want to show you 
what Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. He says this, get rid of your default, David. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, do this. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Just as God, who went to great lengths to make peace with you, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. He gives us an alternative to the poison, a key to the cage, and that is forgiving others the way God has forgiving, forgiven us. And Paul talked again in another scripture that will help us really define forgiveness and know how to do it in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 19, a letter to another church. Paul says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. I think this is a really important key, understanding that there is a God who possesses righteous anger towards sin, especially sin that hurts and harms you. The scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So in God's word, we see that in our personal relationships, God calls us to forgiveness, not justice. So here's what I think is a really good definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision, and it's a decision to trust God with justice and vengeance. As we just saw in Romans chapter 12, Christian forgiveness is built on this foundational belief that God will execute justice for all sin. Whatever someone has done to you, you can believe that God is going to make it right. Now, it might not be the way you want him to. It might not be an eye for an eye right here on this earth, but rest assured, God's word shows us that God will make it right. And I want to make it really simple for you. God makes all sin right in one of two ways. Number one, the person who harmed you or sinned will come to understand the grace of God and the love of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ the great links that God went to to make peace with them. And they will come to God and ask him for the forgiveness of their sins and the punishment that they deserve will be transferred onto the death of God himself, Jesus Christ. So God will account for their sin and the harms that they've done towards you on the person of Jesus Christ on their behalf if they come to know him and put their faith in him. But the alternative is this, that one day they will die, just like all of us will. And if they don't put their faith in Christ, they will meet their maker. And he will execute justice, a righteous anger that is far more severe than any payback we could give them on this earth. The book of Matthew calls it an unquenchable fire. It's an eternity in hell. Not something we would ever wish on anyone, even our worst enemy. And so... Once we understand that justice is best served in God's hands, we can let it go. We don't have to be upset, bitter, angry, or vengeful anymore. Here's the cool part. We can actually, we can actually begin to love the people who have hurt us. Now I want to pause here. I, I actually wrote down exclamation points on my page because I want to make sure I insert this here. Forgiving people who have hurt us can be a sensitive subject. And I know many of you have experienced trauma and abuse in your life. And some of you might rightly question whether or not you can trust my words because I have not experienced what you have experienced. And that is fair 
and understandable. But please, please don't reject the concept of forgiveness. I believe there is freedom there for you in this concept of forgiveness. And so I want to share with you an example of someone who can relate to significant trauma. Here's a picture on the screen. I'm going to introduce you to a person named Corrie Ten Boom. This is her with her family. Corrie Ten Boom lived in the 1940s. She was a Dutch woman who, her and her family, they bravely hid Jewish refugees from the Nazis during World War II. But their family was found out and they were captured and they were taken along with the Jews to, con to a concentration camp. And there they were mistreated. They were denied food. They were denied clothes. They were denied comfort. They were denied even their companionship with one another as one after another died. And in the concentration camp, Corey Ten Boom watched her father die, her brother die, and her sister die at the hands of her Nazi captures. But she survived. And after the war, Corey Ten Boom went around uh, to different churches and she shared her inspirational story of survival, of endurance and faith. And one day she was at this church in Munich, Germany, and while she's teaching, she looks out at the crowd. She's sharing her story and she recognizes a face. And she'd recognize that face anywhere because it was the face of one of the Nazi guards that was in the camp that her family was held in. And it was actually a guard that contributed to the death of her sister. So she finished up her story tried to be as le less distracted as possible, and the room emptied out and cleared out. But one person remained, and it was that guard. And as he approached her to have a confrontation, I'm going to pick up the story in Corey Ten Boom's own words. She said, after clearing through the crowd, the former guard walked up to me and thanked me for sharing my story. He told me that he had been a Nazi guard, but had become a Christian after the war. It was clear that he did not recognize me. But he reached out his hand and surprised me by asking for forgiveness. And in that moment, I stood there frozen. How could I possibly forgive this man? My sister, Betsy, had died in that place. Does he think he can erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? I could feel coldness clutching my heart. This is the poison of unforgiveness. She was tempted to stay in that cage. Listen to what she says next. She said, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is a decision, an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And as he stood there waiting, I began to silently pray. I asked God to remind me of his justice and also his mercy. I asked him to remove the cold unforgiveness from my heart. And what felt like an eternity, I reached out and grabbed his hand. With tears in my eyes, I said, yes, I forgive you. And I called him brother. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I love the way she ends this. She said, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And that's my heart and my desire for you guys is that you would never know God's love so intensely as you do in the moments when you forgive. Now that story happened back in the 1940s in Munich, Germany, but let's bring it right here, right now today. What if the person who hurt you the most was in this room today and you didn't know it, but when you walked out those doors, they were standing right there by the doors waiting for you. And you had the same interaction that Corey Ten Boom just had. Would you be ready to forgive and experience 
the intense love of God the way Corey Ten Boom did. And I want to tell you right now how you can do that, how you can be ready to forgive and to know the love of God more intensely than maybe never before. Just like Corey Ten Boom did in those moments of silence, all forgiveness starts with a prayer. Something that happens vertically between you and God, not something that happens horizontally between you and the other person. Let me go back to her words. She said, as he stood there waiting, I began to silently pray. I asked God to remind me of his justice and also his mercy. I asked him to remove the cold unforgiveness from my heart. All forgiveness starts with a prayer. And maybe you're not sure what would happen if you bumped into that person. But you know what will happen if you pray to God. And so let's start with a prayer. So here's what I've done. Is I've written out, and I want to share with you a prayer that I've prayed many, many times when people have hurt me. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. And I'm going to invite you right now as I read through it to insert someone's name. Insert a situation into it. There's blanks. And pray this with me. Obviously, we're not going to do this all out loud. Just quietly to yourself, between you and God. Something that happens vertically between you and God. Here's the prayer. Dear God, I have been hurt by, you fill in the blank, my husband who betrayed me by looking at pornography, my friend who abandoned me for another friend group, my boss who's mistreated me at work, the ex who broke my heart, the parent who let me down, like whatever it is, fill in the blank. I've been hurt by them. And I believe you care about my pain, so I'm asking for comfort and healing. And I know that I'm a sinner and my sins deserve punishment. But you forgave me through Jesus Christ, so I choose to forgive. Fill in the blank. I trust you with justice. I surrender my desires for justice and vengeance to you. Help me now to know your love more intensely. And this is the tough part of the prayer. To share your love with. Fill in the blank. In Jesus' name, amen. And you know, when I sit down and last time I sat down and took an inventory of people that had harmed me, I prayed this prayer, inserting different things in the blanks 14 different times. I went back and counted. Now, quickly, before we move on to the idea of amends, uh, I want to remind you of something that's been taught here before, but maybe you haven't had the chance to hear it. Uh, as a reminder, every time we teach on this stage on the weekend, there are sermon notes that are available the week after online. This will be in the sermon notes if you want to go back and review. But sometimes we have a block towards forgiveness because we think Forgiveness is something it isn't. Now remember, I define forgiveness for you as simply a decision to entrust justice and vengeance to God. It's something that happens vertically between you and God, but we can get mixed up and we think forgiveness is other things because of wrong things that we've heard before. So I want to be very clear with you this morning on seven things forgiveness is not. So here you go. I'm going to crank through them quickly. Forgiveness is not excusing there's no excuse for sin, and God will make sure all sin is paid for. Number two, forgiveness is not denial. You don't pretend that you have not been hurt. You can honestly bring your pain to God. Number three, forgiveness is not a feeling. We heard this in Corey Ten Boom's story. Forgiveness is a decision that you can make no matter how you feel. Number four, forgiveness is not forgetting. We frequently hear, maybe we've even told other people, forgive and forget. But in order to forgive, you must remember the offense in light of God's justice and the cross and God forgiving you. You don't have to forget wrongs that have been done in order to forgive. Number five, this is an important one. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiving a past offense 
doesn't mean that someone is trustworthy in the future. Forgiving a past offense doesn't mean someone is trustworthy to not hurt you or offend you again in the future. Forgiveness is a gift that you can give someone in a moment, but trust must be earned. And it's okay for it to take some time for trust to be rebuilt. Number six, forgiveness, if you're a Christian, is not optional. God commands us to forgive, and refusing to forgive is rebellion against God. And number seven, forgiveness is not reconciliation. It doesn't promise to completely heal the relationship. Forgiveness is only one part of resetting a broken relationship. Reconciliation takes action from both sides, but forgiveness is between you and God. It's getting rid of the poison. It's getting you out of the cage. So that's how you forgive. It's a prayer. Let's talk about what you do with the damage you have done. What can you do about the people you have hurt? Number two was we can reset our relationships through amends. So I want you to think about not how you feel when someone wrongs you, but how you feel when someone thinks you have wronged them, when someone has something against you. Now, unfortunately, this happens to me all the time. I've broken trust and I've caused harm in many ways, but mostly I hurt people with my thoughtless words and with my tone. And mostly it's with the people closest to me, my wife, my kids, my coworkers, my close friends. Those are the people I hurt the most because I have the most time with them. Now, let me share with you a quick story. There, there are, like I said, many times, and there's examples even from this past week, but uh, this is kind of a bigger one that I think illustrates this point. It happened over a year ago, but it's one that's really memorable in our family. Um, Pre-COVID, all right, we were at a soccer game and uh, it's 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. on a Thursday night and we were at a soccer game with uh, three children and my wife and because it's at that time frame on a Thursday night, we hadn't eaten dinner, so game's over, everyone's hungry, youngest child, seven-year-old girl, starts coughing in the car and we, we check her, she feels warm like she might have a fever and we're like, oh man, this is terrible. And she's coughing, she's sitting behind me, so she's coughing on the back of my neck. The other two boys are fighting or arguing about something. The older one's being rude about something the younger one's done. And so we pull over on our way home at CVS to get the youngest one some cough medicine. And I decide I'll stay in the car and my wife is going to run into CVS. The kids are driving me nuts. Daughter coughing on my neck. Uh, boys fighting. Wife's inside CVS for three minutes. How long does it take to buy cough syrup? <laughs> She's in CVS for five minutes. She's in CVS for seven minutes. It feels like an eternity. The kids are frustrating me to the point where I turn around. I look at the little one, no lie. Stop coughing. I tell her to stop coughing in that tone of voice. You two, I don't want to hear another word from you until we get home. Do you understand? Snap at my kids. Rude tone of voice. Not understanding what's going on. Just shut up and leave hungry dad alone. I'm, I'm frustrated with my wife because she's left me out here to try to manage these ruffians. And so I, I say, stay in the car. I'm going in to get your mom. I walk into CVS. There's one employee. Thanks, CVS. We could do with more than one. There's a line. My wife is third in line. There's like three or four people behind her. I walk in. Picture this. I walk in the door of CVS. She's across the way right there in the front, lined up. I shout, what's taking so long? The person at the counter looks over and is like, what is your problem? I'm going as fast as I can. She's like checking people out. Everyone else in line looks at my wife like, I am sorry you were married to him. And she just kind of like holds up the thing and is like, there's a line. And then I storm back out to the car, the silent car. 
because they better stay silent. <laughs> awesome dad moment. I caused harm to my three kids and to my wife. Talked down to them, embarrassed them. And you know how I want to respond? I want to shift the blame. You know, I wouldn't have had to take that tone if you hadn't been so loud and annoying and coughing on my neck. I wouldn't have had to come into CVS if you would have gotten the cough syrup faster and gotten to the register faster. I want to shift the blame. I want to make excuses. Look, what do you expect? I was hungry. I just coached a soccer game. Give me a break. I want to compare and minimize. Honey, look, I know you were annoyed that I came in CVS, but I didn't cuss. I never cussed at the kids. I didn't cuss at you. That's other people cuss. I didn't throw anything. I could have knocked over a rack. I didn't do that. I wanted to. I compare my offense and minimize it. And you know what else I did? Everybody got back in the car. My wife got back in. Imagine the drive back to the house. Total silence. In my head, I'm going, maybe we can just pretend like that didn't happen. And then we'll eat dinner and we'll play a game or something and we're, we're good. That's what I tend to do. But here's what God's word tells me to do. Back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' first and longest sermon. Look at these words of Jesus from verses 23 and 24. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, so if you're going to church and worshiping, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, that you hurt your wife and kids, let's say, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And then Jesus picks up this idea a few chapters later in the same sermon. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. You know, he starts off in chapter 5 and he goes, prioritize peace in your relationships over worship. Because remember, I've gone to great lengths to make peace with you and I've called you to make peace with one another. So don't come and try to worship me for coming to great lengths, or for going to great lengths to make peace with you while you're not doing that with one another. And so then in chapter 7, he says, why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye, how loud your kids were, how slow your wife was, when you've got a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get the log out of your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So here's what we see Jesus saying is this, that God calls us to do our part to make things right. And this is the action that we call amends. So let me give you a definition of amends. Amends is doing our part to repair the damage of our sin. Doing our part to repair the damage of our sin. Amends is seeing the log in our own eye, drawing a circle around ourselves and working on everything inside that circle. It's identifying the thing that you've done wrong that's in need of reset. And I believe we all have people today who have something against us. And so I want to challenge you to reflect for a moment and think about any relational damage you have caused. Let me give you some prompts. Where have you broken trust by not keeping your word? Where have you caused emotional pain through impatience or unkindness or thoughtless words? What abuse have you committed, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse? What debt do you owe because of theft or damage? What social friction have you created through gossip or slander or conflict avoidance? And guys, when we recognize that people have stuff against us, that we have a log in our eye, what do we do? Like, what does amends actually look like? How do we get the log out? Now, I said 
Forgiveness starts with something that happens vertically between you and God. And amends is something that happens horizontally between you and another person. It's a conversation. So what I had to do when we got home is, first I was hungry, so I had to eat a snack. But then I had to call the family together, sit everybody down on the couch, and I had to make amends. I had to do my part to repair the damage of my sin. So I sat the family down, and I'm going to give you something uh, that I learned here, and I think it's really helpful. It's five A's that it can inform an amends conversation. All right, and here they are. The first one is this. Admit you're wrong. Hey, guys, that tone I used getting out of the car and yelling at mom in front of everybody at CVS, telling my daughter to stop coughing, that was wrong. I was impatient, I was angry, and I should not have treated you that way. Second A, apologize. And I'm sorry, I'm grieved. It makes me sad that you might now walk on eggshells around your dad, fearing whenever I will pop off like that the next time, or that you think that I'm unfair or unjust in the way that I treated you. And I embarrassed you in front of other people at CVS. Who knows who was in there? That was terrible, and I'm sorry. I'm grieved. Number three, ask for forgiveness. Guys, will you forgive me? Man, will you believe that Jesus died for that sin too and extend me grace? I accept the consequences. I know you might be a little skittish around me tonight. You might not be as comfortable or enthusiastic about playing a game with me or, you know, letting me come sit by your bedside at bedtime. It grieves me, but I know that might be the case. And lastly, guys, I'm gonna try to change. I'm gonna alter my behavior. I don't wanna do that again. And if I do, I don't wanna have a whole silent car ride home. I wanna stop right there in the moment as soon as I realize I've done it. And I wanna start this process of apologizing and asking for forgiveness and admitting that I was wrong. I wanna do it different next time. I think all of us can do this. I think all of us can do this, and we all have people who have something against us. So in a minute, I'm going to give you one more real-life example of amends in action. But first, let's just review where we've been today. We started off with this. God went to great lengths to make peace with us, and he calls us to go to great lengths to make peace with one another. And we can do two things to do that, guys. We can reset relationships with forgiveness, and we can reset relationships with amends. Forgiveness and amends, something that happens vertically between us and God and something that happens horizontally between us and another person. And we define forgiveness as a decision to trust God with justice and vengeance. And we define amends as doing our part to repair the damage of our sin. So I want to give you guys an application, a little exercise that we can all do. And I hope you all do it. It might be feel kind of silly, but it's really practical, and I think it helps you put these things into action. So if you have a journal right now, uh, find a blank page, and you can do this with any piece of paper when you get home, but I want you to draw a cross, the outline of a cross, where there's space in the middle. You'll see it up on screen. And on the vertical beam, I want you to write forgiveness or forgive, and I want you to write a list of all the names of people who have harmed you, who have hurt you, who you feel bitterness or resentment or anger, or you desire vengeance towards. Write down all the names. And then on the horizontal beam, because amends is something, it's a conversation that happens with us and other people. Write the names of people you think might have something against you. Someone that you know you might have caused harm to, or you know you have hurt with your words or actions or, or even absence. 
And then I want you to look at that cross and remember the great lengths that God went to to make peace with us. And then challenge yourself to go to great lengths to make peace with others by praying forgiveness prayers to God about the people who have hurt you and by initiating conversations with the people who have something against you. And guys, don't overcomplicate this. Start with the easiest, most obvious ones and then work your way from there. So I started off with a story of my friend Sean. And uh, a couple years ago, I was leading a Bible study with some seventh grade boys. And I told that story and they were like, well, did you make amends with Sean? And I was like, no. So I found Sean on Facebook and here's our exchange. Sean, hey man, haven't seen or spoken to you in a long time. This is totally random, but I've been meaning to touch base with you for, about something. For the last nine years, I've been serving as a youth pastor in Dallas, Texas. In January, I was leading a Bible study with seventh grade boys about friendship. And we were looking at several passages in the Bible talking about conflict. We observed most people have a history of soured or dead friendships because we avoided conflict. The guys began to ask me lots of questions about my pattern of soured or dead friendships. How many could I remember? What caused them to break down, etc.? Anyways, I told them about how I remember being good friends with you in fourth grade. I also remember very vividly getting into an altercation with you around a swing set on some kind of field trip. And I remember lashing out and actually hitting you. I don't think it hurt you because I remember being humiliated when you laughed at me and everyone else around laughed also. Regardless of whether or not I hurt you, it was a horrible thing for me to do. And after that, our friendship ended and I avoided resolving the conflict. In our Bible study, we talked about the importance of working through conflict with friends by one, admitting you're wrong, two, apologizing, and three, asking for forgiveness. The seventh grade boys challenged me. Seventh grade boys challenged me <laughs> and told me that they thought I should contact you and apologize. I thought it was a silly idea because you're seventh grade boys. But I told them I'd think about it, and well, I thought about it, and I realized it couldn't hurt. So I was wrong to hit you back then. I'm truly sorry that I was a punk, and I'm sorry that I ruined our friendship. And I was hoping you could accept my apology and forgive me, both for being a jerk and avoiding conflict resolution. Thank you for reading this. I know it's really random, and I hope all is well with you and your family, David. P.S., if you're curious, below is a link to the discussion guide we used in our Bible study. And then here's what's crazy, guys. Like, I just took a step of obedience and tried to live out what God's Word says to do. And this silly thing that I easily could have forgotten about back in fourth grade, but I took a step. And just a few minutes later, I got a response from Sean. Here's what he said. David, it's great to hear from you. I've always told people throughout my life about my childhood buddy, you. We had all kinds of fun. Honestly, I don't remember the altercation, but I do know we lost contact somewhere. And I always regretted that. Regardless, no harm done. It's great to hear from you. I hope all is well and keep in touch. Now, Sean and I, we're not besties. Like, he's not wearing this shirt this morning. We're not matching. <laughs> but there's peace in our relationship. And for years and years and years, there wasn't. And it was just because of this simple act. And guys, this is just one small example between two people. And I gotta be honest and confess, like, when I'm preparing this message, here's what I'm praying and here's what I'm hoping. God, maybe you could use this message to make Republicans and Democrats get along. And we can heal all the wounds of racism in our country. And Lord, maybe people will agree on masks or no masks and distancing and 
opening schools. I mean, if we could just figure this out, maybe it'll solve all of the world's problems. And you know, if I'm honest, I don't think I can accomplish that with this sermon. Like maybe I can't bring political parties together, heal wounds that have been caused through the centuries. But here's what I can do. I can reset my personal relationships. I can forgive people who have hurt me. And I can make amends for wrongs that I have done. And you can too. And then I thought about this. What if everybody who heard this message did that? You drew a cross. You forgave people. You made amends. I think it would change our community. It would change our church. It would change our relationships. And what if in doing that, there was something different about us? Where others we were interacting with were like, why are you going to such great lengths to try to make peace in this relationship, sending a Facebook message 20 years after the fact? And then we had the opportunity to tell them about our God who went to great lengths to make peace with us. And maybe more people knew about our God, knew about our Jesus, because of the way we made the effort to go to great lengths to make peace with them. And I want to pray that you would remain convicted and that you would move forward and take action on this message. So let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Dear Lord, I thank you that you have gone to great lengths to make peace with us. And first, I just want to pray for any in this room who don't have peace with you, who aren't sure whether or not if they died today, they would face your judgment or they would face your welcoming into eternity. And I pray that they would have clarity today through the songs that we sang and the scriptures and the words that were spoken, uh, that you're not done with them and that you've gone to great lengths to make peace with them, to forgive them for their sins that you have paid for their sins in the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray that if any have not put their faith in that, they would put their faith in that today. But for those of us that do know you and have put our faith in you, I pray that we would represent you as your children in the way that we live with one another. And so if anyone has thought of a harm that has been done to them today that they need to forgive, I pray that you would give them the courage to bring that to you and trust you with it. And for any in this room today that thought of a harm that they have done, a way that they have disrupted a relationship and broken peace, I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to make amends, the humility to do that. I pray that there would be healing. Ultimately, I pray that you would be glorified. So Lord, would you stir in our hearts as we sing this song? Let us honor and glorify you as we do. Amen.